All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for this morning, for giving us this day to celebrate You, our Father, first and foremost, and for also revealing Your own heart through our earthly fathers, however possible. Thank You for times like these that truly give us proper perspective. Thank You for having us step back every so often and smell the roses for they are blooming right before our eyes. This has been your will all along, and to be a part of it is truly magnificent. We pray that those struggling today find the right perspective and are set free. We pray for those still harboring anger or resentment towards their earthly fathers, that they be delivered from their self-made prison cells, We pray mostly for those still lost and that we, as a congregation as well as individuals, maintain the fortitude to evangelize them. We ask that you bless this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls and may it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. How's that AC? Is that bothering anybody, Billy? That thing going on and off? Can you still hear? Everybody good? All right, it becomes a problem. I mean, it's, it's pretty nice in here, right, in terms of temperature? Okay, just uh, stop breathing. <laughs> we'll all be set for an hour and a half. Hour, I mean, sorry. Father's Day special. This morning's special is about perspective a very practical one, not necessarily a theological one. It's about the fathers in our lives and grace. It's about the fathers in our lives and grace. The main passage in my latest blog, which was titled, Be Anxious for Nothing. Go to Philippians 4.4. It's interesting how he dovetails these things together. Not surprised. Be anxious for nothing. You should have received that on Saturday morning. This was the main sort of launching pad passage. Philippians 4, verse 4. Fathers and grace. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Maybe this morning we focus on fathers. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I'm not going to give away the blog if you haven't read it yet, but that's a change in perspective in of itself. That's all Paul's saying. Get your perspective right. Dwell on these things instead of the wrong things. Dwell on the good things instead of, the say, the transgressions of someone else. 
including our fathers. Given today's focus on fathers, being Father's Day here in the U.S., I'd like to focus then our attention on the concept of a father, for we each have multiple types in our lives. Scott, can you kill that for me, please? And if it gets too hot, just let me know. It keeps going on. I wouldn't be bad if it was consistent, but it keeps cycling. So I'd like to focus our attention on the concept of a father, for we each have multiple types in our lives. And many of us are actually multiple types in the lives of others. So here's the list that I'd like to work off of this morning. Fathers. Of course, we have our Father in heaven. He's perfect. But beyond that is imperfection. We have spiritual fathers, apostles, shepherds, etc. Fathers in earthly families. And father figures even. Mentors, etc. So we have all kinds of, quote, fathers in our lives. And it begs the question then, what is a father? What is a father? I believe the best place to start is with Jesus, whose perspective we want to cling to this morning. For he had a father and a perspective towards him that is revealed abundantly in Scripture. So if we're going to look at anyone's relationship with their father, I suppose the best place to look is at perfection. And then work back from there. Jesus had a father. And he often called him out and addressed him as father. Up here on the board. Jesus' favorite term for addressing God was father. 165 times in the Gospels. 100 times in the Gospel of John alone. Versus only 15 times in the Old Testament. So this is obviously a New Testament concept, this idea of Father. Jesus called out God as Father 165 times in the Gospels. For example, John 5, 17, 18, 6, 29 to 48, 18 to 19, 54, 58, 10, 14 to 18, 25 to 30, 38, 14, 6 to 7, 23 to 24, 15, 20 to uh, 17, uh, let's see, Mark 14, 36, Romans 8, 15, Galatians 4, 6. And that is a, just a small number of the times. That's just for your, your review, if you'd like. We're not going to go over all those scriptures. But let's look at a few of these passages. And again, we're just looking at Jesus' relationship and his perspective of his father. And he did have a unique relationship with his father because they pre-existed us. They pre-existed mankind. But it was perfect. Go to John 6.29. So let's look at a few passages. I would encourage you to look at all the passages up there on the board. Those are always available on the website, in the outline section, on the home page, if you're interested. 165 times in the New Testament... John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers, and there's an instance of fathers, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. So you see in verse 32, he calls out God as my Father. Then they say to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. His Father. This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Again, that's an immediate way for us to look and see that Jesus Christ had a perspective towards His Father Not only did he address him as father, he addressed him as my father. A certain intimacy evidenced in scripture. Again, Jesus' favorite term for addressing God was father. Go to John 8.54. John 8.54. Hope your fingers are nice and limber this morning. We've got a lot of scripture to turn to. John 8.54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father, there's another instance of father, so to speak. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That that establishes a pre-existent eternal relationship between Father and Son in heaven. One more from the Gospel of John. Go to 10.27. My sheep, 1027, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. You can see that relationship, but yet I and the father are one. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So you have that intimacy as well. Again, the point on the board that we're trying to establish is that perspective that the Son had with the Father. And that relationship even pre-existed mankind. Furthermore, the Greek word translated Abba, 
is used to refer to the intimacy of Jesus' relationship with his Father. Go to Mark 14.36. Mark 14.36. This word Abba means something. Mark 14.36. It speaks a little bit more to the intimacy between Son and Father. And if you've ever experienced that on earth uh, to any degree whatsoever, you know how special that bond is. Mark 14.36, and he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he was, as the Son, subservient, submissive to the Father, to his Father, And in this relationship, in this dynamic between father and son, the son referred to the father as Abba, which can be translated even daddy. Up here on the board, from Baker's Dictionary, Abba. The rarity of this designation, Abba, for God is striking. There is no evidence in pre-Christian Jewish literature that Jews addressed God as Abba. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. A second unique feature about Jesus' use of Abba as a designation for God involves the intimacy of the term. Abba was a term little children used when they addressed their fathers. So there's more to it than just the sovereign father or the sovereignty or the justice of God the Father over a son. Uh, There was a certain intimacy there, a, a love. So the nice thing is that we also get to call him daddy. And I've taught you this in the past, that you should have such a relationship with your father in heaven who's perfect, that nothing should ever get in between you and your intimacy with him. Go to Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15. You should have a very respectful and warm, loving Perspective of your Father in heaven, Romans 8.15. That is what Jesus had, as we just noted. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Go to Galatians 4.6. Galatians 4.6. You see, you've been adopted as a believer into the family of God. You may not be intrinsically a son or a daughter, strictly speaking, the way Jesus preexisted in that way, but you have nonetheless been adopted in. Galatians 4.6. And therefore you can call Him Abba. Because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So that finishes up this point, which helps us understand Jesus' relationship with His Father. And then furthermore, the use of Abba to express the intimacy that He had and that He wants us to have with His Father.
So again, Jesus' favorite term for addressing God was Father 165 times in the Gospels, 100 times in the Gospel of John alone, versus only 15 times in the Old Testament. And there's your scripture. The point is that not only did he reveal that relationship to us, not only does scripture make sure that we have the ability to understand it, he personally wanted his disciples to realize that they had a father in heaven, even though they were adopted into the family. Up here on the board, Jesus taught his disciples, Father was not just one way. Jesus taught his disciples to address God. It was the way. It wasn't just one way. It was the way. He wanted his disciples to understand the relationship as adopted sons to the Father, to his Father. And they would have obviously seen how Jesus addressed his Father, being the same one. And so he taught his disciples to address God as Father as well. It was the way to do it. They were to pray even. Father, hallowed be your name. Luke 11, 12. Or 11, 2, excuse me. So he wanted his disciples to address the Father that way. Jesus wanted his disciples to know fully that they were indeed children of God. Even though Scripture makes a distinction. There is a distinction and it's fine. Because there is a truth to what I just mentioned. I, I mentioned it earlier up here on the board. Our Father adopted us. Jesus is the Son of God. We are adopted sons. Interestingly, this is why he never used the term our Father. Rather, he used the term your Father in reference to us versus my Father in reference to himself. He wasn't slighting us. He was merely saying that intrinsically, he was the son, whereas we are adopted. That's it. But nonetheless, we are adopted sons. John twenty seventeen, Matthew five sixteen, forty five and forty eight, six one four and six, seven twenty one, ten thirty two to thirty three, Romans eight twelve to sixteen. We're not going to go to all those either, but go to John twenty verse seventeen. I would certainly encourage you to look at. All the scripture there. But again, Jesus is the Son of God. We are adopted sons. And so he did make that distinction. Interestingly, he said, my father and your father. But nonetheless, the reality is that we have been adopted. John 20, verse 17. Twenty seventeen. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brother and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. And so there is a distinction in Scripture, and that's something we should realize as true. Remember, Scripture reveals that if we are not a child of the Father, we are a child of the devil. There's some perspective for you. Think about the fact that you've been adopted into his fold. Jesus intrinsically, Jesus Christ intrinsically, Son of God. We're adopted. Now just think about the other option. If you're not a child of God, as Scripture says, then you're a child of the devil. You're one or the other. 
So just think about how grateful we ought to be to our Father for finding a way to adopt us as His own. Think about that. What's the alternative to being a member of His family this morning? And He found a way. You didn't find a way to Him. He found a way to solve that problem so that you could be adopted as one of His own. Does that not fill you with gratitude right now? Otherwise, you're a child of the devil. You're one or the other. So I reflect. Sometimes, I mean, it's good to be practical. I often think about how grateful adopted children must be towards their adoptive parents. Looking back, not knowing what their lives might be like otherwise. How grateful is that adopted child, not knowing what life would have been like otherwise to the adoptive parents? Again, our point on the board is our Father adopted us. Don't underestimate that thing. Jesus is the Son of God. We are adopted sons. Go to Romans 8.12. Romans 8.12. Jesus didn't have the problem that we had. Jesus wasn't alienated because of sin the way we were. He had to humiliate Himself and become a man like us to die on a cross to solve that problem so that God was just and righteous in adopting us as sons. And we know from John 3.16 that God's the one who sent His only begotten Son to solve that problem, to make this thing actually happen for us so that we might inherit the blessings of being adopted children in His family. I don't know about you, but I'm filled with gratitude right now. Romans 8.12. Had a hard time holding it together there. Sorry. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's one of the ways we know that we're a child of God. The Spirit will let us know. Again, Jesus is the Son. We are adopted sons. So our very confidence in time is that the point on the board is true. And as we realize the goodness of our Father in heaven, we begin to see through the Word the incredible blessings that come with our adoption as sons. So much has happened, in other words. You are not of His family. You ever look, I mean, in a practical sense, you ever look over the fence and you say, we, you know, we grew up poor. I'm not complaining, it's who I am today, but we kind of grew up on the broker side of things in life. When you look down the street and, you know, 
that particular family over there seemed to have this like nice little ecosystem of blessing, so to speak, right? And I'd be like, hey, that'd be nice to be have some of those blessings in this house, right? Well, think of the complete polar ends. If you're a child of the devil, you got serious problems. And God plucked you out and says, I will adopt you from that situation. I'll make it so that I'm able to adopt you as a son of my own. And now you get to go live in my house for all of eternity with all the blessings that come with that, as opposed to the stark nature, the polar opposite, which is the devil and his family. So a lot happens when we're adopted. For example, and we're going to get into survey mode for a bit now, I want to talk about the ways or the things that happen as a result of our Father choosing, electing us as sons of His own. First, our Father blesses us. God's grace is abundantly supplied to all of His children. Now just think of the family structure, if you'd like. Think of a home with a perfect father, a perfect dad, and all the things that He gives us in that home. Think of it that way this morning. Think of the intimacy of that scenario. That he said, I know you're on the outside of my home, but now I've adopted you, and you're one of my own now. And you get to enjoy all the things of being in my home. God's grace is abundantly supplied to all of His children beyond all that we ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. His blessings are never-ending. His compassion new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22-23. We find peace in our faith that His grace is sufficient for each of us, regardless of circumstance. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Philippians 4, 11. Feel free to look up those passages listed in line. We don't have time. But here are our supporting passages of the fact that our Father blesses us, Romans 1, 7 and 1 Corinthians 1, 3. Go to Romans 1, verse 7. Again, we're in a bit of a survey mode. The Spirit wants you to reflect on all the things that you've been given as an adopted son. But again, I encourage you to look up that other Scripture in line. Romans 1, 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, call the saints grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you spent any real time in the New Testament specifically, it's interesting to see how often grace and peace show up as, let's call them wrapper blessings. Wrapper blessings. Grace and peace. Very common opening, closing type comments from the writers in the New Testament. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.3, for example. And again, this is how our Father blesses us. I mean, what else do you want other than grace and peace? If you've got His grace and you've got His peace, think about that. Grace is a function of love. 1 Corinthians 1.3. We have a lot to be thankful for to our Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 1.3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So that helps us establish the point on the board. Our Father blesses us. God's grace is abundantly supplied to all of His children beyond all that we ask or think. His blessings are never-ending. His compassion new every morning. We find peace in our faith that His grace is sufficient for each of us regardless of circumstance. I just had a visual in my own soul that, you know, it's like getting up in the morning and he's always up. You know what I'm saying? The coffee's always hot. He's like, you want some coffee? You want a bagel? I cook some bagels. You know what I'm getting at? He just graces us out and he's always up before us. And then we go to sleep and he's always up after us. And he makes sure we're, we're, we're protected and we're taken care of and that we do have peace in our souls. That's the perfect father. You don't have any anxiety. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you type thing. You don't have any anxiety because you know the perfect father is always there to protect you, to take care of you, to fulfill the promises, to say, that's right, call me daddy. Come over here, jump on my lap a little bit over here. I want you to know that I love you. I want to show you that I love you. I don't want you to just know it academically. I want you to understand it, sense it, feel it. Our our Father blesses us. We thank our Father up here on the board. We simply have so very much to be thankful for when it comes to God the Father. First and foremost, of course, is that He chose to elect us on the premise of His Son's good work on the cross, whom He sent out of love. John 3.16 In proper form we say thank you to the one who gives. Ephesians 5.20, Colossians 1, I think that's supposed to be 1.21, Thessalonians 1, 2-3, actually it's uh, Colossians 1.12. Go to Ephesians 5.20. We thank our Father. We have so much to be thankful for. As Romans uh, 5.8 says, you know, For while we were yet sinners, He solved this problem. He sent His Son. Ephesians 5.20 We wouldn't have that relationship that we're enjoying this morning. We wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be fellowshipping with Him the way we are this morning unless He solved that problem. And I know I'm filled with gratitude. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Go to Colossians 1.12. Colossians 1.12. So all the theology aside regarding the Trinity and the activities of the, the, the persons of the Godhead, here's our Father. Let's relish what we've been given. Always being thankful. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to who? The Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's something our Father did. He qualified us. You were not qualified before. So we give thanks. Go to 1 Thessalonians 1.2. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. So this is what the Spirit was getting at as a precursor to the lesson itself. Today's lesson is about fathers and grace. 
1 Thessalonians 1, 2. The grace-oriented person thanks the Father. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Again, up here on the board, we thank our Father. We simply have so very much to be thankful for when it comes to God the Father. First and foremost, of course, is that He chose to elect us on the premise of His Son's good work on the cross, whom He sent out of love. In proper form, then, we say thank you to the One who gives. Next, our Father is sovereign. Our Father's immensity ought never be misrepresented in our souls, He is sovereign Lord over all things, even His Son. As such, we ought to fear God and keep His commandments. So there's an obvious issue of respect with a perfect Father, with any Father, technically. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, 15, 28, Ephesians 4, 6, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. Go to 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Our God, our Father, excuse me, is sovereign 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Again, we're still in survey mode. The Spirit just wants to insert all the Scripture into your soul. And then we're going to get more practical at the end of the lesson. I want you to understand the perfect first. And then He wants us to move into the imperfect. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things and we exist for Him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. Think of, you know, no one comes to the Father but through me, says Jesus. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. <clears throat> Our Father is sovereign. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him, so that God may be all in all. And that's a reference to God the Father. The Son is subjected to God the Father even. Again, our Father is sovereign. Go to Ephesians 4.6. Ephesians 4.6. And so we have this, I guess you'd call it Implicit respect for Him. I mean, He's over all things. He's planned all things. Ephesians 4, 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Go to Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Again, our Father is sovereign. And when we realize that, we have a certain respect for Him. For His position in the family, as head of the family, so to speak. I mean, He did adopt us as sons. We don't just get adopted in as sons and then, you know, have a complete disrespect for God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. 
For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Again, the point on the board, our Father is sovereign. Our Father's immensity ought never be misrepresented in our souls. He is sovereign Lord over all things, even His Son. As such, we ought to fear God and keep His commandments. Our Father comforts us. Our Father comforts us. There is no real comfort, at least not of the eternal sort, in anything or anyone other than God, in any and every circumstance in life, when all else fails, we always have a special place with our Father in heaven, a place of peace and comfort. Go to 2 Corinthians 1.3. Our Father comforts us. There is no real comfort otherwise, folks. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. I mean, that's, I, again, just keep going back to that visual of the home. A father, a perfect father in the home. You come through the front door and you're like, Dad, I just had the worst day ever. Someone cut me off. Then I had all kinds of mental attitude sins. I'm just a train wreck right now. And he says, come over here. Come dine with me. Come sit with me. I'll comfort you. Second Corinthians 1.3. And he's always there. In perfect form. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. There is no real comfort, at least not of the eternal sort, in anything or anyone other than God. In any and every circumstance in life, when all else fails, we always have a special place with our Father in heaven, a place of peace and comfort. We also receive an inheritance from our Father. An inheritance implies that something of value pre-exists. God is love. God is peace. God is eternal life. Our Father gives us these things as an inheritance among many other things that, we will, that will never fade away. 1 Peter 1, 3-4, 1 John 3, 1. Go to 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 3. We receive inheritance from our Father. Think about that. You were estranged from Him. You were not His Son. He adopted you in as a Son. And then He says, I'm going to blow your socks off. I'm going to give you an inheritance. Seriously? You're going to adopt me in and then give me an inheritance? Yeah, I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to give you a place, a real place in heaven for all of eternity. I'm going to do this for you. Why? I loved you. I sent my son to solve the problem for you so that I could do this thing with you, so I could fellowship with you this way. I'm your father now. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen? Amen. How about 1 John 3, 1? 1 John 3, verse 1. 
He's given us an inheritance to boot. Wouldn't it just be sufficient? Think about that. Just to know that you weren't going to the lake of fire because of sin, wouldn't that be sufficient? Technically, yeah. But He's given you so much. 1 John 3.1 See how great a love See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Just think about that. That we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Again, up here in the board, we, we receive inheritance from our Father. And inheritance implies that something of value pre-exists. God is love, God is peace, God is eternal life. Our Father gives us these things as an inheritance, among many other things, that will never fade away. Now, it's because of all these things that our Father in heaven is to us that we praise Him up here on the board. We praise our Father. Our response in time, in humility, is the same response we will live in for all of eternity. Worship God. What else do you do, my friends? Just given the short survey we've done this morning, what else do you do other than worship Him? This is His plan and His ultimate will, for He is worthy of our praise. Romans 15, 5-6, Revelation 4, 11. Go to Romans 15, 5. Romans 15, 5. We praise our Father. We worship Him. What He's done for us, even as overwhelmed as some of your hearts might be right now with gratitude, you don't know the half of it. You don't even know what He's done for you this morning already. You don't know what, he's, what the restraining ministry of His Spirit has done in your life so that you weren't attacked, so that you weren't precluded from hearing this message. You have no idea the protection that He gives you. And yet, we're still filled with gratitude. Romans 15.5 Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ, Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Revelation 4.11. We praise our Father. Revelation 4.11. Why? What else do we do? What else can we do than worship Him? Revelation 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Up here on the board, we praise our Father. Our response in time, in humility, is the same response we will live in for all of eternity. Worship God. This is His plan and His ultimate will, for He is worthy of our praise. That ends our survey mode. Now, that's all great, fine, and dandy. Given the fact that our Father in Heaven is perfect. 
it's kind of easy, you know. Oh, I like that visual, Pastor. You know, it's that the house, and you know, Dad's always there with, the, you know, hopefully it's Starbucks because that's what I like. He knows you like Starbucks. It'll be Starbucks, okay? And your visual. He's always there. He's always comforting me. He talks me in at night. You know, he's always available through prayer. He's always there. I love that visual. Yeah, and he's perfect, right? He's perfect. Is he the only father you've ever had? Nope. And now we enter the realm of imperfect. So that's all great, but our Father in Heaven is perfect. Let us not lose sight, though, of what that perfect relationship, Father and adopted Son, Father and Son, looks like. Let us not forget those things. And do not forget Philippians 4. What does it say? Let us dwell on those things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is holy, etc., etc. Let us dwell on those things. Okay. Do not lose that perspective. So how about the rest of the fathers in our list? We already mentioned and we surveyed Scripture on our Father in Heaven. We saw Jesus' perspective of His Father. That's the perfect, if you would, relationship. But there's spiritual fathers, apostles, shepherds, etc. Fathers in earthly families. And even father figures, mentors, etc. We might immediately say that none of our fathers besides God are perfect. And that's true. See, someone concurs. <laughs> Brian, obviously. Sean's like, yeah, yeah. Right? None of our fathers besides God are perfect. What are the implications of this? keeping in mind that our perfect Father ordained this situation. What are the implications of having imperfect fathers while keeping in mind that our perfect Father ordained the situation? For the sake of brevity, I'd like to suggest that we focus the remainder of our lesson this morning on the following oversimplified viewpoint. He's just trying to make a point with you. He just wants you to walk away with the right perspective on Father's Day. So I'm going to oversimplify. What about imperfect earthly fathers? Well, we have two options. We can focus on their imperfections resulting in misery, or we can focus on how God uses them to our benefit in His glory resulting in blessing. Those are your options. Honestly, I'm oversimplifying, but those are your options. You have two options, basically. You can focus on the things that are, what, unholy, impure, and as a contradiction of Philippians 4, and you're miserable. Or you can do as Scripture says, we can focus on how God uses our fathers, even the imperfect one, to our benefit and His glory, resulting in blessing. It's just a perspective, what I say. It's just a perspective this morning. Fathers and grace. Grace orientation, you focus on the lovely things, you focus on the good things, and you overlook transgressions. Focus on the transgressions, you're miserable. Focus on God's grace working through a flawed individual, you're blessed out. Those are our choices. So that is the big question on the table for the rest of this morning's message. And again, 
I'll give you the message version of Philippians 4.8, and I can put this in the blog as well. Summing it all up, my friends, I'd say to you, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Whose plan is this? God's. He's perfect. He didn't mess up. Now, I need each of you to really synthesize what the Spirit's been focusing our attention on as of late. Not just today. I'm talking about what's coming from the pulpit in the last month or so. Before I left on vacation, he had me teach an entire lesson on authority orientation and the divinely ordained chain of command. Hopefully you remember that. And when I went on vacation, lo and behold, he taught us about forgiveness. Now, what do you think these two things have in common? Authority orientation? Forgiveness. What do you think he was up to? And how do these things relate to one another? Concentrate. Do you think it's possible that when I taught on authority orientation, that some of you balked at it. Why would that happen, even to the slightest degree? Probably because somewhere along the line in your life, you have been let down or even seriously injured by someone in authority. Maybe a type of father from our list. As we just learned, only God, the Father in heaven, is perfect as the list of our fathers go. If I were to ask most of you, you'd say, you know, I can trust God, the Father, implicitly because He's perfect. Duh. How do you not trust someone who's perfect? And you'd do well in saying such a thing, blessed even. Fair enough. Well then, let me give you the following to think about on that. What about imperfect earthly fathers? If you can say in your heart that you trust God the Father in heaven, then why would you distrust His choice of authority in your life? If the perfect Father placed you in submission to an imperfect Father on earth, then the situation is perfect for you. Let me say this again. If you can say in your heart that you trust God the Father in heaven, then why would you distrust His choice of authority in your life? Who delegated it? He did. Well, you either trust Him or you don't. If the perfect Father placed you in submission to an imperfect Father on earth, then the situation is perfect for you. Go to Deuteronomy 32.4. Deuteronomy 32.4. So it's just a question for you to dwell on this Father's Day, to help you with that perspective, with that oversimplified perspective, to move you from a place of maybe historical misery to a place of blessing, 
to get you out of the doldrums, if you would, of dwelling on the wrong things and getting you thinking about dwelling on the right things, that no father except for the Father in heaven has ever been perfect, that every father is going to fail you in just about every conceivable way. But yet the perfect father said, that's your father. Or those are your fathers. I willed it so. Deuteronomy 32.4 The rock, his work is what? Flawed? No. Perfect. Did I not take you there? Why is everybody flipping? Deuteronomy 32.4 Did I say it wrong? Diane? Oh, thank you, sweetie. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways. Some of them, kind of some of them, sort of kind of some of them, most of them. No, all his ways are just. But you don't understand, my father was a jackass. Yeah, so join the club. I'm not saying, I, my, you know, anyways, my father's dead, so I'm not going to disgrace him. You know what I'm saying? Every father is imperfect. But you don't understand, my father, shut up. Stop. Stop it. Wrong. You're already misdirecting the conversation in your own soul with a but. But he, no, stop. Shut up. But. He's, no, stop. That leads to misery and bondage. This leads to life. Last time I checked, we're all flawed too, right? Even as sons. I mean, we must be the worst sons. God's like, oh, I adopted that one in too. Just kidding. He didn't say that. But you know what I'm saying, right? He's like, oh, here comes trouble. Everybody's in the house already. You come strolling in late. You know, the prodigal son type thing, you know. Come strolling in late. Ah, yeah, drunk. Ah, flipping stuff over, right? Pushing the other kid out of the way. He's jumping on dad's lap. Dad, you love me, right? We're the, we're the worst sons. So what are we doing judging the fathers? What are we doing? We're horrible. Horrible. But he's perfect. And all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Again, up here on the board, what about imperfect earthly fathers. If you can say in your heart that you trust God the Father in heaven, then why would you distrust His choice of authority in your life? If the perfect Father placed you in submission to an imperfect Father on earth, then the situation is perfect for you. Why? Because He doesn't make mistakes. All His ways are just. His work is perfect. He didn't screw up when He gave you that alcoholic, abusive Father. He didn't screw up when he gave you a spiritual father. He didn't screw up. None of us are perfect. And I'm not making excuses. I'm saying there's a thing called authority orientation. And the perfect God, the Father in heaven said, that's who I want you to be under. I ordained it. So if you trust me, then you have to trust my choices. Again, While the lessons are still fresh in your minds, think about the proximity of our lessons on authority orientation and those on forgiveness. Is it possible that the Spirit knew you'd have a knee-jerk reaction to the strength 
of the lessons on authority orientation. Is it possible that the Spirit knew that you'd have a knee-jerk reaction? But, 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 shh! Serpent's tongue. Like the attorney. Remember that? Serpent's tongue. But, 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 shut up. Your problem isn't with him. Your problem is with forgiveness. So maybe the Spirit knew you'd have a knee-jerk reaction to the strength of the lessons on authority orientation that for some of you, you said in your hearts, who's this bald guy trying to get up in my business? He has no right. Au contraire, my dear sheep. I have every right. And I stand before you with the utmost confidence in that statement. I have been given every right to teach you the truth about authority orientation. And if I'm imperfect at abiding in it myself, so what? The truth never changes. But you're not perfect when it comes to authority orientation. Yeah, I know. The difference between you, me and you is I admit it. But you won't. Same thing goes with your earthly fathers or anyone who had a father role in your life, whatever that might have looked like. They have been given authority over you. Up here on the board, what about imperfect earthly fathers? God never says that a father's failures disqualify him from leading his subordinates under the auspices of authority orientation. If this were the case, every father in the Bible besides God would stand disqualified. In stark contradiction to Scripture on obedience to authority, of course. Again, God never says that a father's failures disqualify him from leading his subordinates under the auspices of authority orientation. If this were the case, every father in the Bible besides God would stand disqualified. And that would be in stark contradiction to the inspired Word of God on obedience to authority. What would happen to our faith? Let's just reflect for a moment. I told you we're going to get practical. What would happen to our faith if imperfection disqualified our spiritual fathers, for example? Like Paul. Go to 1 Corinthians 4.15. What would happen to our faith? If imperfection disqualified our spiritual fathers, for example, and that's not the only type of father in our list, so keep the entire list in view. He's just making a particular point. 1 Corinthians 4.15. This goes for the delegated authority given to your earthly fathers. 1 Corinthians 4.15. For if... You were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And that was Paul's attitude. He knew he wasn't their genetic father, but he was a type of father to them, a spiritual father. But if you know anything about Paul, he was horrifically flawed. Did he improve with time? Yeah. But even towards the end of his ministry, he says, I don't think, read Romans 7. I don't know what, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. I do the things, I'm a mess. But I keep pressing on. 
And did he ever waver? Think about the authority that that particular father spoke to those under him. He never lacked authority orientation. He said, I know I'm imperfect, so what? God delegated me to be in command, me to be in authority. You have a problem? Go to God the Father, who's perfect, by the way, and all his ways are just, and he never makes mistakes. So he's the one who put me here. So you have to make a choice. You want to live in misery, in bucket, or do you want to be blessed by it? See, your, your problem, if you're living in misery, your problem is actually not with the fathers in your life. Your problem is you. And that's what he's trying to say. He's like, get the right perspective and you'll be set free of your daddy issues. I hope you see what the Spirit's trying to convey to you this Father's Day. He's saying, among many things up here on the board, Ephesians 4.26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. If your father's a jackass, then yeah, you have a righteous indignation. Boy, what a jackass he is. So? God put that jackass in your life for a reason. Maybe because you were so ridiculously arrogant that he needed to work something out in a certain way in your soul. That you had to learn, I don't know, the hard way, what grace orientation, what forgiveness actually is. He had to give you a major area of forgiveness so that you would learn what it means to forgive. Why? Because you're that arrogant. I don't like the way this is going at all. I can see by body language. This ain't no happy Father's Day message. All the ladies are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? There's a difference between a righteous indignation and an inability to forgive. One's bondage. One's just... Yeah, it's a sin. He's imperfect. What do I expect? He's imperfect like me. I'm a, probably technically a worse son than he is a father, possibly. Who knows? That's not the point. The point is you're still in bondage because of you, not because of your fathers. What does Scripture say? I'll never test you beyond what you're able. I will actually give you a way out. That's what he taught the Corinthians. I will always give you a way out. Unless God's a liar, then it is you, isn't it? But I'll get a way out when my father changes. No, that's not what he's talking about. So be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. What the Spirit's saying is that you have two basic choices when it comes to your perspective of fathers up here on the board. What about imperfect earthly fathers? We can focus on the imperfections resulting in misery, or we can focus on how God uses them to our benefit and His glory resulting in blessing. As many of you will attest, especially the traditional fathers out there who have children, just a little bit more perspective on the subject, a father's heart, carrying the responsibility of being a father is difficult enough without the added pressure of being cross-examined by your subordinates. It's difficult enough to be a father of any type without the constant cross-examination. Because that's what Satan, the attorney, does. He's a lawyer. He cross-examines. But did not God say? 
gets you in a lot of trouble when you make a habit of cross-examining the authorities in your life, especially fathers. Carrying the responsibility of being a father is difficult enough without the added pressure of being cross-examined by your subordinates, by your children. Those who perpetrate this heinous act are actually foremost revealing a distrust towards God in heaven, not their fathers, all earthly types in view. Why? Because God didn't make any mistakes when he assigned you to that father. Your problem isn't even with the father necessarily. Consider our previously given points now as well. What about imperfect earthly fathers? If you can say that in your heart that you trust God the Father in heaven, then why would you distrust his choice of authority in your life? If the perfect father placed you in submission to an imperfect father on earth, that's a given, by the way, then the situation is perfect for you. Up here on the board, God never says that a father's failures disqualify him from leading his subordinates, his children, under the auspices of authority orientation. If this were the case, every father in the Bible besides God would stand disqualified. That's what the world wants you to believe, by the way. There's no father that's qualified to be your father. Signed, the world. Signed, the world. And you go, yeah, I kind of like that because then I don't have to pay, I don't have to actually obey anybody, do I? Sounds like Satan. That's what the world will have you think, though. When the Word of God says He has qualified you, even in imperfection. So please, do yourselves a favor this Father's Day and make the right choice. Do yourselves a favor this Father's Day and beyond. But the Spirit's on you right now. There's no wiggling out of this. Make the right choice. Forgive your fathers of their sins against you and do it now before it erodes any more of your peace and contentment in this life. And do it the right way, not just in word, but in deed, through prayer even. Go to God the Father in heaven and ask the tough questions. Why? Some of you are getting your answers, the answers to your prayers right now, this morning. Why, God? Why'd you give me him? He was the worst. Go to God the Father in heaven and ask the tough questions and see how he will reveal to you that he's been teaching you the answers from this pulpit all along. And that He's used the fathers in your life, all of them, even in their imperfections, nay, through their imperfections even, to deliver you unto Himself. To deliver you unto Himself. Doesn't that sound like sanctification? Set apart for Him. that He's used those fathers that He ordained to deliver you unto Himself. 
But you won't get there if your perspective is wrong, if you make the wrong choice. Let's close with another view into our list of fathers. Up here on the board, we have our Father in heaven. We have spiritual fathers, apostles, shepherds, etc. We have fathers in earthly families. We have father figures even, mentors, etc. Here's how I'll close. Trust God, the Father, in His goodwill as He asks you to forgive your earthly fathers and submit to them, for they have been given by God to you for reasons you may never fully understand until you stand before God's throne in heaven. And if you've got earthly fathers that truly love you, then cherish them. Truly, for despite their failures, they are living for you, at least to some degree. That, my friends, is a very good thing. Take the time to let them know that you appreciate the good, the good things they've given you from their heart, overlooking their transgressions for both your sakes. And let them know that you love them back, for that seems to be too seldom laced with insincerity because of past failures. So, I'll close with this. Make the right choice this Father's Day. These are your choices. We can focus on their imperfections resulting in misery, or we can focus on how God uses them to our benefit in His glory, resulting in blessing. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, thank You again for this morning's message, for this wonderful day of celebration. First of You, our Heavenly Father, and also of all those fathers and father figures that have blessed our lives We thank you for a special day up here in New England for a reprieve from the pressures outside of these four walls. We are so very grateful for your grace. These are the things that have set us apart as adopted children, inheritors and beneficiaries of your love. These are the things that have sanctified us truly. So may we rest this day as we go forth out into a lost and dying world, Father. And may we be lights to the world, able and willing to celebrate Father's Day with the right perspective, your perspective. May you bless all traveling from this local assembly. It's in Christ's precious name, by the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.